0: It is good to be back uh, in the pulpit preaching today. We're going to be taking a look in a moment at the last chapter in the book of James. Uh, But before we do, I'm just going to take a moment. And uh, obviously, people ask if I watched the game yesterday. And I said, I don't have to watch the game. I can come to church on Sunday and know who won by who wears their shirt. So congratulations to Iowa State. Um, I understand that there's reason to celebrate, if that makes sense. So enjoy your celebration. Good luck to Iowa fans next year. I hope you guys all enjoyed that. Before I dive in real quick, I also want to take a minute and just... um Talk to you a little bit about what we saw yesterday. Um, we have been starting or started our quest for authentic manhood study. Uh, had a great time, in my opinion, yesterday morning. Uh, about 18 or 19 of us showed up. Several guys couldn't because either they were working or they were ill. But. Long story short, a couple of quick things for you. It is not too late to be part of this. If you'd like to come and join us, we will be meeting again in person once a month. We always meet the second Saturday of the month, and that will be Saturday, October 8th, from 7 to 9 a.m i believe that we accidentally put something wrong on uh, facebook it's not uh, 9 to 11 it's 7 to 9. good news was as we were here till about 9 15 and uh, no other guys showed up so either you were super late or we got it right uh, the next quick thing i wanted to tell you that really touched my heart and um i didn't pay the guys off on this but we watched and we did the study and we listened to essentially what dr robert lewis was going to present to us speaking about what does it mean to be a man and then through this study discovering essentially a biblical definition of manhood and then being able to live that out in our lives and to make a very long story short at the end of the study i just turned to the guys and i said hey like does this resonate with you i mean after watching this Are you guys looking at this saying, yeah, this has nothing to do with me, why am I here, this is a waste of time? And I I will be honest with you, I'm not lying, I looked into the eye of every guy there and every single one of them said, yeah, it does. So my encouragement to you is if you want to come and be part of this, we would love for you to do so. Next quick thing is, I want you to also know that several guys have come forward and said, hey, you know, I had to work or I may not be here for these couple of sessions, that, isn't a reason not to come i'm not saying it's a bad excuse but what i'm encouraging you in is that's why we're doing this once a month if you miss you can get caught up and we want you to get caught up we have ways for you to do that we want you to be part of this so the next thing that i want to let you know is um, i'm going to be sneaking over to crafty's this wednesday from noon to 1 or 1 30, just depending upon what's going on it's going to be there right Uh, Nobody shows up, then I'll be there till, you know, 1230, 1245. But the purpose of that is if any of you guys are just wanting a lunch break or you're around in town or you want to come and you want to talk, you want to talk to me, you want to talk about the study, you want to talk about guy things. That's why I'm gonna be there. So, unless an emergency happens, unless I'm called somewhere else, I plan on being at Crafty's this Wednesday uh, from noon to 1, 1.30, depending upon what's going on. We want you to come, we want you to be part of that. So I just wanted to throw that out to you. Um, If you are interested, I would encourage you, can I just, can can I ask a favor? Guys that were there, will you raise your hand real quick? Okay, so other guys, right? Keep your hands up just for a second. If you're interested, other guys. Here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Don't come to me because it, it's like, yeah, he's got to hawk this. He's got to say it was fun. Go talk to these other guys and, guys, be real with them. Like, if you're like, yeah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. The guy's crazy. That's fine. Or if you're like, yeah, you know, it was good and there's some good stuff in there, go find these guys and talk to them. My big thing is, my prayer is to watch God impact this church in the guys to where we impact the community through our faith in jesus christ all right enough preaching oh wait no i've got a sermon to do so here we go right good morning once again i wanted to talk to you and i wanted to ask you a simple question how many of you have been going through life doing your best and then all of a sudden something comes into your life and it's a wrench in the plan and it's an aspect of either persecution or suffering Has anybody been going along, doing the best that you can, something's come forward, and all of a sudden you look and you say, why in the world is this happening to me, or why in the world is this happening to my family, or why in the world is this happening to my friend? And the next question I want to ask you is this, if that has occurred, what's your immediate next response? And let me just throw something out to you. Oftentimes, even in my walk with Christ, my immediate response in some time of suffering or some time of hardship is simply this. God, why is this happening, and when am I going to get out of it? Why is this happening, and when am I going to get out of it? Let me ask you, honestly, how many of you like to suffer? How many of you like hard times? So what do we do? when we suffer? And how do we act when we go through hard times? And the next question is this. Is God there? And does God care when we suffer and go through hard times? And I'm just going to give you a little hint. Is God there? And does God care? when we, through Christ, go through hard times? In giving the sermon away, the answer is yes. And perhaps what we're going to discover today, and particularly in the book of James, the final chapter, is this, that suffering and persecution, albeit something that we want to run away from, something that we don't necessarily say, yeah, I'll sign up for that, or yeah, I can't wait to have that happen, isn't necessarily a bad thing when we recognize that perhaps what God is doing is refining us encouraging us, challenging us, drawing us, molding us, or shaping us more into the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus. So this morning, before we dive into the text, we're going to ask this question. How should we respond in times of suffering and persecution? What should our response be? How should we act? What is God calling us to do? And to do that, I want to take you back to a very real email, that I received back in 2005 from Vijay Kumar. Now, several of you may know who Vijay is, some of you might not. To give context to this, Vijay Kumar is the leader of Shalom Ministries in India. He's one of the missionaries that we support, and they are there reaching and teaching and preaching for Jesus Christ. And dare I do it, if you don't remember Vijay Kumar, I bet you remember the following song, Pray for India pray for India pray right now you aren't going to remember any of this sermon that's going to be stuck in your head all day i'm like why would i do that vj godly man i mean i i just watch him and i look and i'm like man if i could be half of the man that he is holy cow what an amazing individual well this is a real email that I received back in 2005 about what happened to one of the missionaries that he trained and supported. And I want to read this to give you context because right here in this email is exactly how we are to respond when we're persecuted or we struggle in times of suffering. And it's very, very real. This is what it says. Hello, brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I apologize. He writes with a little bit of broken English, but I'm just going to read it to give you context. Shalom. We praise the Lord that it was pleasing to the Lord. We praise the Lord that it was pleasing to the Lord that he in his mercy. Stop right there. Gave me the home that I want. Gave me the job that I want. Let me retire and have fun. Let me live a happy and healthy life. Let me do what it was that I want, live in an air conditioned room, et cetera, et cetera. No. We praise the Lord that it was pleasing to the Lord that He, in His mercy, allowed one of His missionaries, Daniel, at Hyderabad, our state capital, to become a martyr. You're kidding me? Really? We praise the Lord that it was pleasing to the Lord. That he in his mercy allowed one of our missionaries, Daniel, at Hyderabad, our state capital, to become a martyr. Hitherto we experienced persecution by religious fanatics, but not the Lord allowed a martyrdom. Pastor Daniel was serving the Lord at Hyderabad in the Twin City area. He was many times warned about the fanatics not to preach the gospel. Today the news came that he was killed by the fanatics. They tortured him in an unknown place and poured acid on his face. We praise the Lord that it was pleasing to the Lord that he and his mercy allowed one of our missionaries, Daniel, to become martyr. And this is what he did. And this is how it happened. They tortured him in an unknown place and poured acid on his face. They packed him in a bag and threw him in a bushy area now the police are investigating. The burial is expected to take place tomorrow. Please pray. But now watch how Vijay asks to pray. Please pray that the Holy Spirit would comfort his wife, his parents, and all the beloved. We were shocked to hear the news and bereaved for much of this great loss. Please pray for us. We know that unless the Lord allows not death could reach us, and we long to wait on to see him in the presence of our dear Lord. Again, a little bit of the broken English. I, I, I don't know that I could do that. I don't know that I could write that the day after someone who I know and I care, that maybe I trained, that maybe I interacted with, was taken from this earth in such a brutal and unhumane way. And yet, that's what VJ wrote. How? My next question is how can you do that? And what I'm going to tell you is is that's because V.J. has a deep trust in the sovereignty of God and his plan and his purpose and in his ability to take something tragic and use it for the glory of the kingdom of God. Friends, that's what we're called to do. And so in that context, that's how we move into this last part of the book of James, We've been looking and we've been walking through the book of James for the past several weeks. And again, it's a very practical book. It's one where essentially the rubber meets the road. It gives us a, a sort of an understanding of do and not do or be or don't be. And it challenges us in our faith. What it does is it says that there's more to the Christian faith than just showing up and sitting in a pew. It's about living out our life as we go about our daily living. It's about being salt and light to the world. And particularly in this instance, it's about glorifying God amidst a tragedy of injustice, recognizing that God's plan still prevails, still is good, and still has a greater purpose. And so this morning, what we are going to do is as we move into chapter 5, and there's this first section that I want to touch on because I think it's important, that speaks about a warning to rich oppressors. But then in that context, it then moves into patience and prayer and times of suffering. And friends, what it does is it illustrates to us that when we suffer, not if, when we suffer, or when we go through times of difficulty, that our response should be one of turning to God and trusting in Him and waiting on Him and allowing Him to work in our lives, recognizing that He is going to do what He's going to do as He makes all things new. And so I start off, again, we're in chapter 5, verse 1, and it says, Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, and moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the Lord to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, an example of patience in the face of suffering. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord faithfully brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. I'm going to pause right there and notice how contextualized Vijay's response is when he starts off and he says we praise the Lord that was pleasing to the Lord that he in his mercy insert what occurred. He continues and he says I'll pick up again at verse 11. As you know we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of pray. Any one of you sick? He should call in the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The, pr- the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This morning we're talking about patience in time of suffering. We're looking at what our proper response will be. And a few things that I'd like to start off with before we dive into that aspect First and foremost, to lay the context, James has this sort of interesting six-verse sort of conversation about rich oppressors, which then leads essentially into the main gist of what's going on in chapter 5. And so it's obvious that individuals are being oppressed by people who are getting wealthier at their expense. That's not happening here, is it? We look around the world and sometimes we realize that people are working as hard as they can, and really what's happening is as they work, who's getting wealthier? Not them, but perhaps the organization or the company. And so a couple of things that I would encourage you in. First and foremost, this is not something that says you can't be wealthy. I don't want anybody thinking that if the Lord has blessed you monetarily, that you've got a problem. But the next thing that I would say is what's your heart in the blessing of the wealth that God has given. Is it more? Is it more uh, consumption? Is it uh, drawn out of oppressing others? And my word of encouragement there is if the Lord has put you either in a position of power, authority, or wealth in which that power, authority, and wealth does have influence over other people how are you encouraging them? How are you treating them? Are you oppressing them to grow in your wealth? Or are you lifting them up and being blessed by God? Take a moment and look. It says, listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will testify against you. It's a simple thing. We hear it all the time in sermons. I'm going to just say it one more time. Friends, what I can tell you is this. You can't take it with you when you go to heaven. You can't take it with you when you go to heaven. And so in that, again, please hear me, I'm not saying that the pursuit of wealth is something that is wrong, but the pursuit of wealth at others' expense is something that the Lord is against. And so how might we grow other people? How might we encourage them as we walk with them, as they labor? How might we be individuals of the Christian faith that should the Lord allow us to become wealthy, the money that we have is used to bring glory and honor to Him? It's just something to think about. So essentially, the first thing I want to show you in these verses is is that we're not to use our power or financial resources to exploit others. If God allows the power or financial ability, that's fine. Praise God for it. But the question that you need to ask yourself is, is in that, is it being used to exploit or to use or to oppress other people? What I'll tell you is, is examine your heart and take a look at that. And then we move into this next section, which is sort of the area that I'd really like to focus on. And James turns and he says, be patient then, brothers. And just so that you all know, it's brothers and sisters. This isn't excluding females. The manner of how this was written is similar to sort of a a Spanish context, for lack of a better word, that the masculine is stated and that's all inclusive of people who are there. So please don't think that we're just talking to men. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. And then he gives this analogy because he's speaking essentially to the oppression that's occurring in the farm. And I find it interesting that here we are and we're almost toward harvest and we obviously have individuals that farm or relate to the agricultural business. And it says, See how the farmer waits for the Lord to yield its valuable crop? How patient he is for autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. I love that analogy because talk to a farmer, right? Do you see them become impatient? Sometimes they might be worried, sometimes they might be concerned. I know for the past several weeks we were needing rain, it was dry. Well, we got some. If you've been in the farming business, do you sit there and say man hurry up get this thing done, I can't wait till it's over. No, you plant your crop, you trust it to grow, you trust that God will do what he's going to do and in the time that you are to harvest it you do and it yields whatever it will produce. My understanding I'm not a farmer but in relating to some of the other farmers and speaking to them that God does a pretty good job at that doesn't he? He doesn't leave you in want or in need. Sure, sometimes you're better than others. Sometimes you have a bumper crop year. Other years you might not have a bumper crop year. But all in all, I don't know about you, but being a farmer in Iowa, pretty good gig, isn't it? Now, in that relational aspect, let's take that a step further in our prayer life. And what I want to ask you is simply this next question. Are you patient in times of suffering? And really what James is saying is that we are to be patient in times of suffering. And I want you to ask yourself a very simple question. When you go through something challenging or difficult or you are suffering for whatever it might be, is there an aspect of patience that's within your heart of time of walking with God in prayer? Is it something of saying, God, your will be done, and if it's a week, two weeks, a month, whatever it might be, that's okay? Or is it a microwave society? Get me out of this, right? When am I going to be done? Why is this happening to me? How long must I suffer? One of the things that I think is important to see is James continues on and he says these words, be patient verse 8 is where I'm at, you too be patient and stand firm Because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Two quick questions for you. How many of you recognize that perhaps suffering that God may put you in is the exact thing that God is doing to refine you, to draw you more closely to him? The next question that I want to ask is this. How many of you have gone through a period of suffering and after have uh, gone through that time of suffering your relationship with God is stronger, you're more firm in your faith, and your trust in him is greater than had you not gone through it. So I'm not sitting here saying, and you're like, wow, man, I wanna suffer again, but you're going, you know what? I see how God grew me and made me stronger to be able to stand firmer for him in my walk with Jesus Christ. And the final question I wanna ask you is having gone through that, is that a bad thing? It's a good thing, isn't it? Because your relationship with him is stronger, it's deeper, it's solidified, it's more real. Or better yet, I'll use this analogy, your relationship with Christ has gone from a black and white TV to high definition, perhaps 3D viewing, or perhaps this new thing called the metaverse where everything is around you. Does that make sense? So sometimes suffering, even though it's unwanted, is a manner in a way in which we are drawn more closely to God in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, this is a great quote. Author Richard Hendricks says this, Second only to suffering, Waiting may be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness, maturity and genuine spirituality most of us ever encounter. That's the next aspect that I wanted to ask. Now, I don't know about you, but if we're like, okay, great. If I've got to suffer, that's fine. Let's just get it over. Right? Let's just get me in, make me suffer, make it be a day, make it be a week. I'll just endure it and I'll get out of it. But what if the suffering is much more elongated than that? What if the suffering goes on for months? years or decades? Does that mean that God doesn't care? Does it mean that God isn't there? Does it mean that perhaps God isn't listening to our prayers? Brothers and sisters, what I want to remind you in is, is as we look in the scriptures, there were times when God would give a call to an individual and it was very clear in what they were to do. And everybody said, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And the next thing you know, they go off and they do their thing. And it was 40, 70, a thousand years before the answer ever came. Do you ever think that they wondered you ever think that they went back and said, are you sure that that's what God said? Are you sure that that's what God promised? Because I'm not seeing it, and we're sitting here suffering. Do you think that the Israelites, when they left Egypt, the Egyptian army was running down on them, were going, yeah, this is perfect. This is exactly what we planned for. This is exactly what we want. Praise God and thank you, Moses, for doing this. No, what did they do? Turned to Moses and they said, You moron, you brought us here. It'd be better if we were back in Egypt. Why in the world are we here? And I got a feeling that some of them probably said, Curse you and your God. You don't know what you're talking about. We don't do that, do we? Sometimes in suffering and in patience, God is working in our hearts to demonstrate. That he indeed is faithful. He indeed is sovereign. He indeed has a plan that is far better than we could possibly imagine when we give our hearts and our lives to him. Interestingly enough, he continues on and he speaks essentially into the prophets. And then he brings up the manner of Job. And I want to bring some context into this in a minute. Um, Let me find myself again here. Uh, We're going to pick up in verse 10. Brothers, and there's an example of patience in the face of suffering. So he says, okay, I'm going to give you a real example that you can relate to. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Go back and read the prophetic texts. Read what they say. Read what they profess. Read how exact they are, and then read how insane they must have looked in the culture that they were in because nothing happened, sometimes in their entire lifetime and sometimes they went to be with the Lord before what they said would happen occurred. That's patience and suffering. And friends, perhaps, while you're not a prophet, maybe what God is doing is saying, trust me, my son, trust me, my daughter. I hear your prayers and I will answer it in my time and in my place. Thus saith the Lord. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. And then he continues and he says, as you know, verse 11, we consider it blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And so in that context, I want to take a moment, I want to read a few passages. First and foremost, Proverbs 14.14 says, The faithless will be fully repaid for their ways, and the good man rewarded for his. The reason that I bring that up is how often is it that we look and we say, man, I've got a friend over here, they don't know Jesus, or better yet, when I bring up Jesus, they laugh at me, and they are doing great. Their life is fine. In fact, they wanted to go buy a car, and they were hoping to get a BMW. And you know what? God gave them a Maserati. Why isn't that happening for me, and friends? What will mind us in is that the faithless will be fully repaid for their ways, and the good man rewarded for his. Please hear me. I'm not sitting here going, "Ha ha ha!" I can't wait until people that don't know Jesus get their full due. That's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about the fact that we're going to be rewarded for following God and for trusting in him. And what is that reward? When is that reward? I don't see it, do I? Friends, all of us, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and become a son or a daughter of a living king, have this reward as our promise. His kingdom, period. And if that's all I get, if that's all I have, If that's the only thing that I receive because of who God is, that is way more than I deserve. Because someday God is going to take me home and I'm going to go up and I'm going to receive his hand and he's going to say, welcome my son. My kingdom is yours because I've inherited the kingly promise. That's a pretty good gig, isn't it? And then we continue, and in Matthew it says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. I don't don't think I really understand how great the reward will be. I mean, I can think of some pretty awesome things in my life in rewards that are here, and I got a feeling that when I get to heaven, God's going to be like, yeah. Let me show you. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I find it interesting. Rejoice because great is your reward in heaven, right? Let's just stop. Let's let's put a period right there. But the sentence continues on, doesn't it? For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Oh, great. So the, the, the reward comes via persecution. Perhaps it does. And friends, are we ready for that? And are we recognizing that if indeed we are persecuted, it isn't that God has left us. Perhaps it's because God is using us. And then finally, I love that he brings up Job. How many of you remember Job? I mean, talk about a guy that had a bad day. This is plural. (laughs) Had everything in life. Everything was great didn't do anything wrong. And then all of a sudden, behind the scenes, God and the enemy decided to have a little conversation. And the enemy went to God and he said, you know, the only reason that Job praises you is because his life is good. Stop there. One of the things that I think is interesting is, is I pull myself away and I'm like, you know what? God, is the only reason that I praise you Is because my life is good. I've always kind of read through that and I've always looked and oh poor Job. Oh poor guy, right? And then I don't know about you, but I kind of like to, you know, read through and get to the end, because the end's good. But then also I'm sitting there and I'm like, what if God asked me that question? And the only reason I praise him is because materially my life is good. Would I still praise him if it wasn't? And then hence, obviously, the story of Job. And Job goes through, and we see in Job to the point that Job's life gets so bad that his closest friends look at him and say, Dude, you're doing something wrong. It's got to be you. It has to be you. There's no other way. And Job's going, I didn't do anything. And the next thing you know, not only does Job lose all of his material family relation, the people who he trusts the most begin to doubt him and say, It's your fault. And yet, what does Job do? I still believe. I still believe. Life goes on, and he does his thing, and what do we see? At the end, in Job 42, 12, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than he did the first. Now, please stop, and let me tell you something. I don't want anybody thinking here, okay, great, make me Job, because I can't promise you that the latter part of your life will be blessed more than your first. But what I can promise you is this, that the latter, latter part of your life, the kingdom of God, will be way more blessed than anything you can have here. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And basically, what I'll do is if you want to go back and look at the context, look at what he had before and look at what he has now. And basically, before you say, make me Job, it's a comparison to demonstrate the blessings that we will have in the kingdom of God way more than we can ever possibly imagine. And so James continues on and again in verse 11 he says, As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. But it took Job going through that to demonstrate that and look at how God uses Job to what? Have a reverberative effect on the faith of believers thousands of years later. And perhaps the suffering that you might be going through, the challenge that you might have is God's manner of using a reverberative effect on someone else to grow them in their faith. And in the end, when it's about the kingdom, that is a good thing. then we continue on above all my brothers and sisters do not swear nor by heaven by earth nor by anything else let your yes be yes and your no no or you will be condemned that's like a whole sermon in and of itself one of the things that i want to encourage you and this is an area that i will be honest i don't know that i'm perfect at okay i can grow in this but is letting my yes be yes and my no be no Brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the things that I would say that we need to look at and examine in our hearts is this, is our yes, yes, and our no, no. Not just, not black and white, but I mean, when when someone comes and you say, yes, I will do that for you, or yes, I will blah, do you do it? Or, in faith, in your walk with God, can you go to them and say, you know, no, I I can't do that. And here's what I want to ask If you're on the receiving end, are you mad at the person if they say no? Maybe because you want them to do something and they didn't do it. But honestly, I would rather have somebody come to me and say, with truth and honesty, hey, can you do this for me? No, I I can't. I'm sorry, I got too much going on. And know that that's true and that they have a good reason to tell me no, not that I need to examine it, but know them and trust them enough to say, you know what, I know that their yes is yes, and if they said yes, they would have done it, so obviously there's a reason why they said no, and that's okay. Then, sure, you yeah, I'll do that, and the next thing you know, sure, you yeah, I'll do that, turns into, have you done it? No, I haven't. When are you going to do it? I don't know. I thought you said yes. Well, you know, this kind of changed, and you know, it's not the cool thing to do anymore, or, ah, you know, I don't know. that it's You get where I'm coming from? There is a huge testimony in our walk with Jesus Christ when our yes is yes and our no is no. And so simple thing there is we're to keep our word. And and I'll, I will be 100% transparent. I don't I don't know that I'm batting a thousand at that. I'm trying. I am trying. But I hope and I pray that as I get older there will be more of keeping my word than not. And then the last part that James really dives into is this, that we are to pray in times of difficulty. And here's what I want to just throw out to you. When we go through difficulty, not if, when we go through difficulty, what's your initial response Is it, okay, it's difficult. I need to figure this out. I need to do it. I need to get through it. I need to X, Y, and Z. I just need to kind of hunker down or I need to use my skills or, oh, I've got some money set aside or, oh, I've got this or, oh, I've got that. We can just figure it out. Or is it, let me go to God and let me pray. Let me take time and sit before him and say, God, what what are you doing? Number one, I know you're here. Number two, for whatever reason, you've allowed this in my life. Number three, so it's here. What can I learn from it, and how can I grow in you, and how can you show your faithfulness to me, even though this is difficult? Lovingly, friends of Iowa, even though you didn't win the game yesterday. You guys are supposed to laugh, okay? Is is this sermon that deep, right? What are you doing, God? How are you growing me? How are you teaching me? Is any one of you in trouble? It's it's interesting. I mean, this is a question that James asked. I don't need to know, but just, just listen to him today. Is any one of you out there in trouble? And friends, this morning, if you are, then my encouragement to you is he should pray. Are you praying Are you going to God and saying, God, I need you. I need to hear from you. I need your word. I need to hear what it is that you say. Now, the next thing, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, is when God gives the answer, and it's not necessarily something that you like, but you know it's the answer because it lines up with scripture, are you willing to obey the answer that God gives? Because the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Is anyone happy? Let, he, let him sing songs of praise. One of the things that I will I will share with you. Um, there have been these little moments lately, okay? And 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 I'm gonna. Can I can I tell my wife Kelly? I'm gonna just tell you real quick. She's really good about making me pause and stop and smell the the, the, the little roses in our life that I've come to realize are like, holy cow, these are big roses. Just these little moments when we're hanging out with Noah and he says something like absolutely hilarious, or when we tickle him and his giggle is like infectious, or when we're out on the lot and everybody's running around and our family is together and Carmel is running around and it's just that five minutes of oh my gosh, I am blessed. And what's awesome is those moments I'm sitting there and I'm going, you know what, not just I'm blessed, but I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And not to be morbid, but to be real, because I don't know if that's what I'm going to have tomorrow. So thank you for today and I praise you because my happiness isn't in what I have it's in whom I believe and what I've been given is anyone of you sick he should call on the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well the Lord will raise him up now I'm not against the medical field please hear me that's not it but my question is Is sometimes when we become ill, do we pray? Do we go to God now? Please use modern medicine. Please go to the doctor. I'm not saying that's not the case, right? And I'm not belittling what God has done through medical technology and the opportunities that are there. But also, do we take time to pray? Or is it, oh, okay, well, I'm sick, but the, the medicine's going to make me better. Yes, it might. Uh, the doctor is going to make me better. Yes, he might, right? But I'm going to tell you that God's the one that's given the doctor and the medicine in the first place. And perhaps, as we've seen in some cases, not all, that the doctors and the medicines don't work. And the next thing you know, the person is healed, and they go, I have no clue how that happened. And you say, I do. But the other side of this, friends, is if a person is sick and a person is ill and they pray, And they're not automatically healed, but over time the medicine works or the doctors figure it out, that's a miracle in and of itself as well. And then the final thing that I'll lead on is is sometimes friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, healing has a different form. And healing is the one in which they are now present with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all I can tell you is this, that when we are in God's kingdom looking back, we will understand that that's a good thing. Even though today we may wonder and we may question why. We continue on, and it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, and here's what I want to throw out to you. Sometimes when we pray, God's answer is wait. Sometimes when we pray, God's answer is no. Sometimes when we pray, God's answer is yes. Sometimes when we pray, God's answer is yes, but I have something different. And those are all good things. But let me throw something else out to you in something that might cause you to really examine your heart perhaps is the reason that God is not answering your prayer is because you're not living a life of righteousness with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have to examine that. We have to look at it And we have to ask ourselves a question. Maybe God's saying wait, maybe God's saying no, maybe God is saying yes. But if we're sitting there and we're praying to God and we're not living a life for him and we're saying God, why aren't you doing anything? Perhaps the answer is simply God is saying because you're not living righteously before me. Now God is a God of grace and God is a God of mercy and God is a God of love and God is a God of forgiveness and God is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, hundred chances. But friends, may we examine our heart and really go deep to God and say, perhaps, God, you are not answering that prayer because the problem is me. Because I'm not righteous before you. And in the righteousness, God may then answer the prayer or in becoming righteous, we may change our heart and recognize that the prayer that we were asking wasn't godly. And so I leave us with this thought that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And so friends, what I want to tell you is this. Go to God first before you ask and say, God, how might I be more closely related to you? How much of our prayer time is more, God, give me this, don't do that. God, take me here, don't have that happen. God, make me that, don't do this. Verses. God, how might I know you more? How might I reflect you in my life? How might more people see Jesus through me? And God, if that means not getting the Maserati and driving a Yugo, then that's okay if it glorifies you. P.S., by the way, you guys know what a Yugo is, right? Okay. Some of you, some of you younger kids may not. Just Google it, right? awesome car. Best thing ever, okay? Plain Jane as you can get. And then it continues on. And it says, Elijah, man, just like us, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Great example of prayer. Great example of faith. And he had essentially God hold off the rain. God heard his prayer and he did. And then he said, okay, now rain, right? And the earth produced its crops. Talk about a moneymaker, right? I don't know about you, but if I was him, I'd be like, holy cow, I can make it rain and I can make it stop. I can have every farmer come to me and pay me money. I will be wealthy and I'll retire in a minute because I own the rain, right? Is that what Elijah did? Did he, did he make Boku bucks out of it? And I'm going back, obviously, a warning to rich oppressors. No, he did it to show and demonstrate the glory of God the power of God. It wasn't about his ability. It wasn't about his authority. It was about demonstrating and allowing God to be the one who received the glory before other people who did not know his name. And because those people didn't know his name and they saw what Elijah was doing, many people said, holy cow, his God listens to him. Our God does not. His God must be real. Do you see how that works? And then finally, it says, my brothers, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This section is not about evangelism, it's about restoration. It's about the restorative effect of the gospel. It's about watching a brother or sister in Christ perhaps go through something difficult, perhaps become upset, perhaps be mad, be distanced from God, and begin to doubt or wander or say, I don't know who God is, or perhaps maybe fall into sin, and lovingly going back and restoring him or her to the Christian faith. And friends, here is what I'm going to tell you. Nobody's perfect. The only one who was, was Jesus. And so before we judge somebody who might have fallen or appeared to have fallen away, let's examine our hearts as well. And rather than looking at them as someone who doesn't make it or didn't make the cut or wasn't good enough to follow Jesus, may we all realize that none of us are good enough to follow him. But yet he still chose. And yet he still loves. And yet he is still full of mercy and grace. I love this. E.M. Bounds says this, and I'm going to keep moving forward because I know that we're, we're uh, getting close to a time where we have communion and, and need to close the service, but uh, E.M. Bounds in the power of prayer I think is important to see about how powerful and effective prayers can be, but also to really examine where our priorities may or may not lie in our walk with Jesus says we are constantly on a stretch if not a strain to devise new methods new plans, new organizations to advance the church and secure the enlargement and efficacy of the gospel what the church needs today is not more machinery or better new organizations or uh, or more and novel methods but men and women whom the Holy Spirit can use men and women of prayer mighty in prayer the Holy Spirit does not throw, uh, flow through methods, but through men and women. He does not come on machinery, but men and women. He does not anoint plans, but man or women, men and women of prayer. It's interesting because this uh, reprint was in 1983. But how many of you are familiar with E.M. Bounds? Sounds kind of like, yeah, he's talking in the the 80s, right? 70s, 80s, 90s. No, this was 100 years ago. This was like all pretty much prior to or during sort of the, the, the rise of the Industrial Revolution. And he was already saying this and how pertinent those statements are today. And so friends, remember and recognize that the prayer of a righteous man or woman are powerful and effective, and perhaps when we suffer, our first response is not to just do it on our own, but perhaps our first response is to get on our knees and go to the Lord in prayer. Realizing that perhaps what God is doing is a great thing to bring glory and honor to the Lord. And so in the last part, verses 19 through 20, not only are we to pray in times of difficulty, but we are to encourage wanderers back to the faith. Friends, there might be somebody out there that you're looking at right now that you know has maybe gone to church or done this or done that, and they are so far from God, or they're kind of saying, I don't know, this or that or the other thing. I'm not talking legalistically. I'm not talking I'm better than you, or I'm not talking like, oh, look at how bad you are and how good I am. My question is this, are you going to them in love and encouraging them back to Jesus, recognizing that you too are just a moment away from wandering as well? And what holds us in the love of God is his mercy and his grace. And if we go to that person in mercy and grace and say, I love you even though we sound a whole heck of a lot more like Jesus than how could you have done blah and so friends perhaps there's someone out there and I ask you to pray and look and think that maybe could use mercy and grace and be lovingly restored back to Christ through a hand of love and forgiveness versus a hand of condemnation and so I leave you with this it's kind of catchy You might like it. You might not. It's okay. I'm not going to be hurt. But I kind of thought it was fun. When we go through times of challenge and difficulty, our inkling is to say either God, get me through it or get me out of it. And if God doesn't, we begin to question him and wonder if he's there. We begin to doubt if he's real. And rather, as we've seen in James and the response that he gives, as we've watched in a real-life example through VJ, this is what I leave you with. Okay, little jingle to it. Before we throw Christ away, may we be patient, stop, and take time to pray. Okay, I think Dr. Seuss could use that, right? Before we throw Christ away, may we be patient, stop, and take time to pray. There's so much in that. And friends, what I want to encourage you in is, yeah, jokingly, Dr. Seuss, but maybe you're going through something difficult, maybe two weeks from now you're looking, and maybe you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, I kind of remember pastor saying something about James 5, great, go back and look at it, but what I want you to take with you is, oh yeah, I know what that verse says, and it means that even though I'm going through something hard, before I throw Christ away, can I be patient, can I stop, and can I take time to pray? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, we thank you for the book of James. We thank you for his authenticity. We thank you for the word of God that encourages our heart, draws us more closely to you. And Lord, through this whole example, both real and VJ and perhaps maybe something in our lives, I would ask that you would remind us indeed that if we are going through a time of suffering, if we are being persecuted, if we are wondering where you are and why you're not answering our prayer, that we would look at the example that James gives, and as we've said before, that we would remember and recognize that before we throw you away, could we stop, could we be patient, could we trust you, and could we take time to pray? And Father, perhaps the whole purpose in it is not to have our prayer answered, perhaps it's to have us pray, and because we're praying, grow in our relationship with you. And in that, that's the best answer to prayer because we are draw close, more closely to our Heavenly Father and we reflect Jesus more clearly in our lives. So with it, Father, we just thank you for all that you are and all that you do. We look forward to our time next week. Father, may the Holy Spirit go before us. May we reach out to other people. May the time in the community be one that's blessed. And Father, even now we pray that you would be just preparing our hearts and the hearts of those that will come to hear the message of the gospel, to be encouraged in Jesus, to recognize that indeed there is a God, his name is Jesus, and that God lives within those whom believe, and that's called the Holy Spirit, and that there's a destiny for those whom are his, which is called the kingdom of heaven, where there's no more death, no more sin, no more hurt, no more pain, and no more suffering. And Father, we just thank you that that is all given to us by what you have done on the cross for us to be freely forgiven and to be restored to you in heaven. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus, and we ask it all by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and all God's people say, amen.